0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning for the truth, yearning for a righteous fight. This is your pretty much only one-stop-shop source of news and views rooted in the truth on the so-called right in America. It is May 31st. Uh, Wednesday, and I'm tired. Folks, the only thing worse than the bad guys oppressing us is for us to think that we're not being oppressed. And that's where the GOP comes in. That's where this phony conservative movement comes in. I want to delve a little bit more into this debt ceiling, I would say betrayal, adultery, whatever it is, There's so much misinformation being passed around, and that is the job of the fake conservative vanguards, the Republican Party, Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump, who supports him, which is why he is silent about this bill. If you didn't have the Republican Party, people would have rebelled a long time ago. The Republican Party is designed to show, oh, no, 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 we're making the biggest spending cuts in American history. I mean, look, you want to tell me, look, we don't have control of all the branches. There's not much we can do. That's one thing. But but to then tell me at the same time, well, we don't really have leverage, but this is the greatest thing ever. It's just not true. Literally, every Democrat is of, of meaning is backing it. Biden's economic advisor, Bharat Morty said that the deal locks in our remarkable progressive accomplishments. It locks in this record high level of spending. We had low expectations to begin with. We just wanted something, whether it's on the spending or even no spending, but some policy transformation that shows that you are willing to go up and through the line of brinkmanship, and then we'll build off of it with the budget bills, with the farm bill, with a couple of reauthorization deadlines. Instead, this gives a blank check for the remainder of the presidency, takes everything else off the table, pretty much. And then even the other reauthorization bills, it demonstrates that even with auspicious polling data, with the right messaging, the right uh, issues, an uh, extremely unpopular and almost dead president, You cannot engage in any brinkmanship. You're done. It's over. So then passing this as if you're doing something is actually like the COVID shot. It's negative efficacy. It gives us the impression that we accomplished it. We don't need to do anything. The biggest spending cuts in American history. So I want to unpack this, where we go from here. Um, We'll have on one of the big leaders in this fight, Congressman Dan Bishop momentarily. But first, there's a few things that make me happy, aside from family, but one of them is my fast-growing trees on my lawn. There's been a big drought here in the mid-Atlantic the last couple of weeks. A lot of the lawns are looking kind of the way the grass would look in August. It's it's looking that way in May, even though it's not even hot, just very dry. But my lawn, everyone's like, man, Daniel, what are you, what are you planting there? Well, I went to com slash conservative, where they have the best quality, real hardy, durable shrubs, bushes. You could shop online. They, they curate thousands of easy-to-grow plants, different varieties, whether you want it for shade, whether you want it for beauty, whether you want it for privacy. Um, they pretty much have everything there, top-notch quality. And then you don't have to go through the pain of transporting it, which is always annoying. Uh, they send it right to you very quickly, by the way, so you don't have to wait in line. Uh, typically, I don't have time except for Sundays, and you know, these stores are just packed this time of year. So it's very convenient. They also have a 30 day alive and thrive guarantee. so you don't like, you know, a couple times in my life, I said, all right, I'm gonna splurge an extra 50 bucks, 100 bucks to have a real nice azalea tree. You plant it and nothing happens. Uh, so here they have that guaranteed alive and thrive. Uh, They also have a customer service line to help you if you have questions about your trees. I am happy with the way my piece of the American dream looks. While you still have it, make sure to make yours look as great as possible. Join 1.5 million Happy Fast Growing Trees customers today for 15% off. So 15% off your entire order at fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative, fastgrowingtrees.com slash conservative. So, folks, we have in Texas the GOP supermajority failing to pass a single good thing, but then they impeach literally most of them, except for like 20, 25 of them, voted to impeach Ken Paxton, the AG. Um, he's not perfect, Ken, but he's, he's certainly better than the rhinos in the house there. You have this drunk rhino speaker who's still there. And then you have the United States House, And it's a couple hours away from the vote. They might have voted already by the time a lot of you hear this. But I doubt we're going to get a majority of Republicans to oppose this. How much, we'll see. But this is where we are. Republicans give us the impression that we have freedom when we don't. This is what they do. There's no, see no evil, hear no evil with Ukraine. See no evil, hear no evil with the border. As much as they complain about the border, they didn't harness the moment to do anything about it. Notice we don't talk about it. Same thing with COVID. COVID is for sure done. Nothing to learn about the shots. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow with Peter McCullough on. And here is the central, there's a couple of central points. I don't want to go over all of yesterday's show, but a couple of central points that everyone is missing. This is not a matter of, oh, we did the best we can do. They, They agreed to the lie about a June 1st deadline and then now she pushed it back, yelling that is, to June 5th. And it's a lie. So they didn't even do a debt prioritization bill to put the Democrats on defense. They didn't even try to fight. That's number one. Number two, they gratuitously gave him an unlimited debt ceiling increase for two years rather than a finite amount of money. The Democrats didn't even ask for that. And he gave it to them. So again, that's an act of political adultery. It's not like, oh, this is the best we can do. And number three is, none of us expected that we are going to get anything amazing from this. I was already resigned that they weren't going to deal with the Fourth Reich issues. When I say Fourth Reich, I mean like, you know, the issues that they're killing our life, liberty, property. Not these legacy, uh, some spending cuts here, some welfare reform here. I knew that, but I was hoping that at least you'd get one thing that's somewhat transformational. One thing, whether it's a degree of discretionary spending cuts in the numbers Or even if there's no cuts, but one transformational policy. That's all we asked for. I knew they would water down their bill, which in itself wasn't so much on target for where we are. I get that. But on each and every thing, each and every item, it either was a nothing, it was negative, or it's like spitting in the wind. It's so nebulous that it's not worth Signing on to a deal that will ruin our leverage to fight on the budget bills. That's the reality. And everything else is just BS. And let me give you a great example. So probably the only, like, you'd say legacy policy, it's not even the issue of our time, but legacy policy that they move the ball forward on, you'd say, is welfare reform. Except... Not really. So to begin with, all it does is takes the existing um, work requirements, which are obviously very subpar because they've been gutted over the years, only for TANF and food stamps, and increases it, the work requirement, right now it goes until age 50, so it adds 51, 52, and 53. That's literally the extent of it. But then, it actually weakens it. It actually weakens it. Okay, this is very important. Robert Rector of the Heritage Foundation, he is the godfather of the original welfare reform in the 90s, he wrote the following. The TANF, that's the cash welfare program, provisions, are harmful and counterproductive. They actually weaken the existing work Requirements overturn the design of the original reform bill and move the entire TANF program in a liberal direction. The key to strengthening work requirements in TANF is to greatly reduce the number of work-capable recipients who receive cash aid. Right? You want to reduce the number of people. Um, but the bill does not significantly reduce the number of idle work-free recipients, therefore it will not seriously reduce caseloads or dependents. The original premise of the TANF program was that imposing work requirements on cash welfare would substantially reduce the utility of being on welfare, right? Um, but the provision in the deal, Section 302 and 304, jettisoned the core principles that led to the success of the original bill in the 90s. It would redesign TANF into an extremely expensive job training program for single parent parents. Under the new design, enrollments would be increased increased, and recipients would be given training to increase future wages. It's an old liberal approach which has a 50-year track record of failure. This approach will actually increase dependence and undermine family structure. Is the antithesis of the original reform. So Robert Rector is, I mean, he's kind of the mainstay on this issue, and he says it's actually an interception. It actually makes it worse. Again, I will repeat, it is better to give Biden At this point, a temporary increase, a temporary increase for, you know, whether it's a year, whether it's a dollar amount or something like that, um, you know, then do a long term thing that commits to certain top lines. As if we See, if, if, if McCarthy said we got the greatest spending cuts in the history of, of the country, that's literally what he's saying. You have no leverage now to fight on the budget bill. Again, those who think, Daniel, you have unrealistic expectations, you are my witness. I had Thomas Massey himself, who unfortunately is supporting the bill. We'll talk about that. I had him on. We talked about, you know, we got a narrow majority. We got a lot of rhinos. We understood that. We understood they would probably water down the GOP bill. But they didn't just water it down. They, they potentially tripled the amount of debt that was even on the table to give to them. And then they make, make a mockery out of us on each and every provision. There is not one single transformational provision. The biggest provision is that they're going to claw back unspent COVID funding that we get for free. Right, if it's there, if it's unspent, that's not even a transformational thing. Oh, except, by the way, for the chunk of money that goes to vaccines, mitigation efforts, and gain of function. It's unreal. It is indefensible. It is indefensible. This is the uniparty on display on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, at the time they matter. Kind of side by side. Republicans and Democrats, Biden, Schumer, all of them, Ch- Kim Jeffries, championing the bill, while Trump, side by side, champions Andrew Cuomo versus DeSantis on COVID. It's just unreal. And then dumps on his best press secretary ever, Kylie McKinney. Trump is emblematic of this uniparty, by the way. I'm sick of it. Um, This is literally the WWE. We have so much acrimony. And Trump represents this. Fighting and name-calling. And then, when you look at the bills that actually define the country, there is no difference. There is no difference. But anyway, our next sponsor today, our friends at QP Goat Soap, our 16 year old goat farmer, entrepreneur who creates the best, really the best quality and the healthiest soap and shampoo. If you go right now to qpgoatsoap.com, put in promo code Daniel, you get 10% off your orders, a full array of male scenting, female scenting, um, aftershave, all sorts of soap, but they're all made out of healthy ingredients. Because that's that's really the key here. a lot of this stuff is pro-inflammatory on your body. I know I used to get rashes from a lot of the traditional soaps. It's kind of like the processed food equivalent, what you get from Dove and Zest. And by the way, they're like Target with the—I mean, they're all promoting. Literally, those companies promote this uh, um, sodomy Pride Month, uh, which we'll talk about. We we need to really fight that. So anyway, QPGoatSoap.com is where to get the healthiest most economical soap that you'll ever use, but also support one of our very own Blaze subscribers, Christian Homeschool family, and a 16-year-old entrepreneur, promo code Daniel, 10% off at qpgoatsoap.com. And folks, I just want to reiterate that the polling on this issue is amazing. Okay? Rasmussen asked... Would you rather have Congress avoid a partial government shutdown by authorizing spending at a higher level or partial government shutdown until Democrats and Republicans agree to you know, cut spending? And overall, it was 54 would rather a shutdown, 38% would rather not a shutdown. And again, when you're talking about a polarizing mainstay issue, they're typically going to be 50-50. That's an amazing thing. Among indies it's 54 to 36 and even among dems 36% of dems would rather a shutdown. It is a winning issue. See, this is why I don't want to hear, "Oh, Daniel, that is the best we can do." The truth be told, you actually have more leverage when you have control of the house. They have the Senate, but they can't pass a bill because they don't have 60 votes, and you have a cadaver in that in the White House. Um unpopular as anything, obviously can't, you know, Use the bully pulpit of the presidency exactly. This was a lap. They were winning it. They were winning it. They pissed it away for nothing. And that tells you that's what I'm telling you. It's not like, okay, we had a little bit of a default or a government shutdown and the going was rough and they decided to cave. No, this tells you headed forward, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to keep doing this. That's the reality. And this is where we are. It's truly sad. By the way, this whole default thing was a lie. The Treasury's cash balance it was 38 billion on hand last week, now it's 54 billion. It went up because of revenue. So, again, there was no default. They had the money. Again, just the unspent COVID funding alone could cover uh could cover this um interest on the debt and also by the way just the few cuts that they say they're going to do they increase funding at the department of commerce by 22 billion as a pot of money that the rumor is they have side agreements that they're just going to use that to plus up the things that are minutely cut from the baseline level of increase Ultimately, we need a freedom party, not a freedom caucus. I don't even know how we will ever succeed as long as you have this party. They don't share our values. Again, it's not about that they're scared of default. They're scared of the media. They don't share our values. It's that simple. At this point, I'm even wondering, and we'll we'll ask the congressman this, if we can even get a motion to vacate the chair, because the motion to vacate is premised on what? That the Democrats will always, if you trigger a speaker's vote, well, they'll vote for their majority leader uh, or minority leader, in this case, Hakim Jeffries, as speaker. So then, you know, with a narrow majority, as long as you just have four Republicans not willing to vote for McCarthy, then, you know, no one gets a majority. The, the, the Dem doesn't become the speaker because you need a majority, not a pl- uh, a plurality. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Dems just vote for McCarthy at this point. But that's what this is. On this week, it's, it's on display. It's all a fake fight on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. Not seven months before Kevin McCarthy in the election. Oh, I'm going to get rid of all the IRS agents on day one. No. The party has not changed one iota since Trump. Trump doesn't burn it down. Trump allows us to coexist in this muddled mess, and that's the worst of all. This is the point of today's show. This is the point I'm I'm trying to make. The worst you could have is to coexist with tyranny, is to learn to tolerate it. See, what Trump did by focusing on distractions and antics is he allowed all the rhinos to just kind of either walk around him, some of them downright will praise him if they need his endorsement but they'll continue doing their thing. Notice Trump hasn't come out against the deal because he supports McCarthy. The only hope of changing the party, and even then I'm very, I'm not very optimistic about it, is if you have a leader at the top who will monopolize the policy space and force an in or out. In other words, if DeSantis follows through, what would happen is It would force an in or out that the party leadership would either have to adopt his principles or it would force a fight that they would leave, we would leave. The worst you can do is continue under the radar, all the banging, the pots, the noise. But when you look carefully at the discernible policy outcomes, they continue to get worse and worse and worse. Again, it's never been a better time to be a conservative talk show host. Lots of excitement. All my colleagues, they're they're very happy. Some might complain about this, some might support it if they're closer with McCarthy. Others might say, yeah, it's stupid, but they'll move on to the next thing. And I don't mean the next policy opportunity. This is the problem here. We need to bend this trajectory once and for all. And honestly, I'm not really sure how to do it. By the way, it was funny. Kevin McCarthy said yesterday that he admitted, he was like, this is the best spending cuts ever. We got nothing under Trump. So first of all, he was majority leader, so he shares in that blame. I mean, I'm not trying to uh, take the blame off of Trump, but they all share in it. So first of all, he's right. So I guess if you set the baseline that low, like, well, we got something, but it's not true because This is nothing. It's a, it's a tremendously big increase in exchange for nothing. It is absolutely nothing, nothing meaningful. It's worse because they're saying it's the biggest thing. So they have no leverage to come back for more. We knew they wouldn't get something majorly transformational. We're hoping to build momentum. I'm fine. Everyone's like, Daniel, it's got to be incremental. I'm all for incremental. But incremental is designed in a way that gives you momentum going into the next fight. This ends it. And and I want to get to the final point on this before we bring on the congressman on how this actually harms our leverage rather than helping our leverage on the budget bill by talking about this in the context of Thomas Massey, But first, our final sponsor today is Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer dependable nationwide coverage that you're going to get on all of the three major networks, except you don't get the leftist, disgusting Pride Month nonsense. Instead, they actually donate to pro-life and pro-family Second Amendment causes. Uh, how, How do you make the switch? Very simple. You don't have to change your phone number like anything else. Um, You could keep your phone, your phone number, go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their 100% American English speaking customer service hotline at 878-PATRIOT. So come join the movement today. Uh, Our our little form of Brexit in, in the little sphere that we can influence parallel economies to break away from this disgusting cultural Marxism. Uh, this is a big service that we all need. Unfortunately, I wish we didn't. Uh, mobile service. So go patriotmobile.com CR or call 878-PATRIOT to make the switch today. Offer code CR. Make sure you tell them offer code CR and ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. So all you are asking me, okay, Daniel, what's with Thomas Massey? Now, I, I, I hate putting words in his mouth. Uh, About an hour ago, he was on my colleague Glenn Beck's show. I unfortunately did not get a chance to hear it. But I want to teach you a very important lesson here. And it's not meant to either defend Massey nor dump on him. It's meant to just demonstrate how corrupt GOP leadership is, how corrosive the relationship is and abusive it is between conservatives and the Republican Party. And why we're going to continue to have this problem, even with some of our heroes headed forward. So, typically, I've, I've watched this for years. Let's say we would have, in the course of five years, seven, eight fights with leadership. Each, And we'd have, like, 30 heroes. Each of the 30 would take turns joining with leadership in one of them. It's like the one that was the hero on the last one usually would join on this one, and then vice versa. And there's a reason for it. The reason is because what happens is inevitably no one wants to just say no all the time. And in fact, I say this all the time. I, you know, This is why I supported the House pass bill, even though it wasn't everything we wanted, because you have to look in totality of circumstances on net how you're going to get a better outcome. We all believe in that. We, we don't just want to, you know, just like you don't want to be a cheerleader for the GOP. You don't just want to criticize as an end to itself. You want the best outcome. And, and, and genuinely, if you're a principled person, you're going to want that. So what happens is leadership comes to and says, all right, you're always saying no. Well, what do you want? We'll work with you. So rather than saying, you're a dirtbag who's going to lie to us I'm not, I never want to work with you, they understandably say, well, of course, well, here's, here's some things we want. So what leadership says, oh, you want work requirement? Oh, here's some work Oh, you want the IRS? Here's some more IRS. You want some drilling? And, and what they'll do is they'll bastardize each provision but they'll 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 st- on paper it will be there enough that you feel guilty voting no because you look like you're not keeping your word. You tell leadership you want this. Oh, well, I gave it to you. What, you're still going to vote no? Okay. So with that premise, let's get to Massey and and this particular debacle. And Massey's one of the members of the rules committee and, you know, Ralph Norman and Chip Roy voted no, but 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 Massey voted yes. And, uh, you know, it looks like he's going to vote yes on the floor. So I don't think, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think Thomas Massey would disagree with a single point I've made about the underlying debt ceiling increase. That you're getting a tremendous amount of debt. It's all fake provisions. It's literally the type of thing Massey himself has been saying for years. Um, I mean, it, it's straight. I mean, it, it's vintage Massey to be saying exactly what I'm saying. I don't think he'd disagree with a single thing of that. He'd say it's a crap sandwich. But there's one other provision in it I want to focus on um, for the remainder of of this segment. And that is this automatic 1% spending cut if you don't pass the appropriation bills and wind up going towards a CR. If you remember, Massey was on this show April 18th. Okay, you could look it up, and you could start around 28 minutes into the April 18th show, and he had something called the Massey plan, which I was broadly supportive of. And his idea was this he's like. And, and I just want you to understand it's not that Massey has suddenly gone south on us. It's sometimes you have good people that get worn down when the Republicans suck and they're like, look, Daniel. Ideally, you do this, but they're not doing it. They're not messaging it. They're sabotaging our messaging. They're never going to fight on a debt ceiling. They're never really going to fight on a, you know, where there's a risk of a government shutdown and on a budget bill. So I'm trying to think of innovative ways how to get some sort of outcome. Um, Otherwise, you know, we could say we're going to, we want this all we want. He's trying to govern. And then, especially when they're using his provision, it was called the Massey Plan. Now, I want to be very clear they say they included the Massey plan. That is why Massey is voting for it. It's that simple. He doesn't feel like, despite everything else, that he could vote no if something he's been espousing for several years was included in the bill. Now, as always, it was bastardized. The problem is it's very nuanced. The difference between the real Massey plan and what they wrote in the bill is very in the weeds, but it makes all the difference. But it's close enough that it makes it hard for... I'm not defending him. He should still vote no because of what I'm going to say, but I'm just explaining I, this is likely where he's coming from. The original Massey plan was this. You come into September 30th. That's the end of the fiscal year. You have a deadline to fund FY 2024 beginning October 1st. Now, typically, they never have the budget bills ready, and they go for a CR in which they pass in until December. Usually they pass an omnibus for the remainder of the year then. Sometimes we could still kind of fight and block it. So there's another CR until February, March, April, and then you know, just the second half of the year is running on an omnibus or you know the final, the final bill. So his point was, you and I, we all want, we're like, screw it. We don't care if you even have a government shutdown. So certainly we're willing to so-called risk it to get what we want and fight for it. But the bottom line is Republicans are terrified and they're going to do it. So what do we do? So his idea was use the debt ceiling, not so much to get anything in itself for the debt ceiling, which we certainly didn't, but to get something that will facilitate better leverage on the budget bill, which I was open to that show, if you remember. What that was is that, okay, if you don't – we're going to pass our bills with all the provisions we want in it. If the Senate and the White House balk at our 12 appropriation bills, defunding the biomedical security state to the extent Republicans would even do that in the budget bill and and the persecutions and the tranny stuff and and the asylum stuff at the border and then the spending levels we want. So, OK, you won't have a government shutdown. We're going to have an automatic we, we're going to have a trigger that we pass in this debt ceiling bill that come september 30th we don't reach an agreement on appropriation bills you have an automatic continuing resolution albeit a two percent cut across the board for everything immediately so it's like okay so you don't have the tremendous pressure not not that we care but of the rhinos and the democrats of a government shutdown but you do have the looming pain of as time goes on you're going to perpetually operate with a two percent cut unless you come to the table okay that was his plan. Now, I would argue that even with that, this deal is so bad and gives, you know, it's one thing if it's $1.5 trillion, but it's an all-you-can-eat debt for the rest of the presidency. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I would also argue that the baseline spending is so obscenely high, it's not enough. It would have been enough in the past to create enough pain. I don't think it is. I think you need more, at least 3 or 4%, but okay. There are two very distinct differences with what was put in the bill in, in the bill itself. First of all, it's a 1%, not 2%, and that does make a very big difference. That's half of it. It's very minute. Second of all, it doesn't kick in on October 1st. It kicks in on January 1st, right when they would pass the Omnibus. See, if you would say right away you get um, spending cuts, on October 1st, it would, be, it would be meaningful because they don't have enough time to concoct an omnibus. But by December is when they usually do it, right before Christmas. And, and Massey himself is the one who has been talking for years about the jet fumes and how, you know, they rush, you know, they, they, they threaten people, well, do you want to stay home for Christmas or not? You better pass this and be done with this year's fiscal appropriations and you get an omnibus bill. Now, it'd be one thing if his provision would say if you don't pass the 12 individual 12 appropriation bills individually, you get an automatically 2% cut, meaning you pass a CR or an omnibus, you're going to get screwed. But no, it's only a CR and only after January 1st. They have no plans of doing that anyway. If it was a CR October 1st, you get the cut. That's one thing. If it's a CR or an omnibus bill, even thereafter, January 1st, that's another thing. But it's only a CR, only after January 1st, and only a 1% cut. All that's going to do is just incentivize another omnibus bill. I don't even, I literally don't understand it. Such a smart thinker. And I hate to put words in his mouth, but I, I would have to say he knows this. And it's just that he just feels that they've indulged his plan too much that he can't vote no. And again, my point is not to defend him nor to dump on him. I think he's the same human being he is. You know, let's not forget if every member would have been like Massey with COVID, we wouldn't even be in this position. You you, you forever have to give him credit for that. But the point I am trying to bring out is this is the corrosive nature of GOP leaders. This is why we can never coexist with the GOP, because they're going to take the goodwill of our best guys and, and just wear them down, screw with them, not negotiate in good faith, and just force them, because they you know, they are principled. They're not going to lie and go back on their word, unlike these guys that will break their word any, any time of the day. And look, you know, hey, you said for years you want the Massey plan. What, you're going to vote against it now? That is how dishonest these sobs are it is truly a masterclass in perfidy and fraud that's why i call this political adultery this is the type of moment where the top 100 names in conservative politics in a sane world would get into a room and say we've got a problem what what are we going to do we're not winning we are not winning And again, this is why I've gotten more into the presidential election, because unless you have someone at the top, you don't even have a fighting chance of changing this. And even then, I I really ultimately think I wish DeSantis would run as an indie. The problem is then Trump would just run away with all conservative voters would just vote Republican. See, if you didn't have Trump and you only had like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence – so then so many conservatives would be upset. If he would run as an indie. I think we'd have a great chance. Unfortunately, that's not really an option with Trump. And again, he's just so, so corrosive. You know, you are my witness. God is my witness. I was open to jettisoning a lot of provisions. We gave up on the border. We gave up on biomedical security state. We just wanted something like the green energy stuff. If not all of it, half of it. Something. Give us something. So this is actually going to weaken our leverage headed forward and really make it non-existent because they're saying they already cut everything. They agreed to the deal. And, and they've also telegraphed the message that despite everything we've learned and everything we've gone through and the, despite the auspicious polling data, they are terrified of any brinkmanship. That is what's very telling about this. This is not just some like, yeah, last-ditch effort, we went through the motions, we passed that prioritization, we messaged it properly, it just swung against us, we didn't have enough leverage, we didn't have enough clout. This is negative. It would be better to pass just a simple short-term increase and go back to the drawing board than do this. And that's where I want to get to the idea of our next guest. So if you've been following my commentary the past few days, it becomes very self-evident that, again, this is not about weak leadership or even a disagreement over a provision or two. The entire way this was negotiated, the entire fact that they added things that weren't even on the table, the fact that they wouldn't even go up to the deadline and message against it in fact they agreed to this arbitrary deadline it demonstrates that headed forward we are not in good hands so doesn't this beg the question don't we need new leadership whatever happened to some of the agreements uh with the original uh you know speaker debate we had and is there a way to get new leadership with us today is congressman dan bishop really one of the heroes of both this the speaker's debate we had in january and uh, spinning fire along with Congressman Chip Roy and several others, uh, today with the debt ceiling fight, he represents North Carolina's eighth district. Really, we need to see him in higher office. And he is the first Republican calling into question McCarthy's leadership itself. And he's going to inform us on the latest of what's going on with that and more. Congressman, it's really a pleasure to welcome you back here to Blaze Media today. But-
1: it's an honor for me to be with you, Daniel. You, 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 you know, I've only been doing it a few years. You've been persisting in this and uh, fighting it, and honestly and courageously for so long. And so, it's it's my honor to be with you.
0: Sure, and 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 people should note that before you were doing this for a few years, you were in the North Carolina legislature before it was cool. Uh, you actually dealt with the bathroom situation, this men and female bathroom stuff. Which is crazy, and now we got more support. But back then, you know, we didn't have much support for it. And I think you're in a similar position. You're always plowing into things before other people. Um, I I have been looking at. I, I've been involved in every budget fight since the Tea Party, since 2010. And what I've never seen is something like this, where typically they'll water down what they promised to varying degrees, often to making it obsolete or close to obsolete. But here in addition, they added an extra year of unlimited debt increase. Where did that come from?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's been the maybe in in an amazing several days, that's been the most amazing development of all. Because you understand, we spent months trying to, uh, coming to agreement for all the conservatives in the House Freedom Caucus among the 20... To say that we would be willing to cast a vote in favor of a bill that passed on the floor of the House, the the Limit Safe Growth Act, that would raise the debt or allow the debt ceiling to rise by 1.5 trillion dollars through the first quarter of next year, and of course the the bill that the McCarthy bill raises it to January 1, 2025, takes it out another year, and uh, and it takes the number away from it, so it doesn't have any numerical. doesn't quantify at all what's happening, even though everybody knows it's going to be $4 trillion, It might be 5 or $6 trillion. So the development that occurred was in conference last night when the, Kevin McCarthy got to the end of his presentation and said in this thing about the, the date of the, of the debt suspension, he says, that was my call. He said, I, uh, he thought, he, he said, it, uh, and now the implication, because I didn't have a chance to ask him a follow-up question, but the implication is it wasn't even sought <laughs> by the Democrats. That he did it, and then he said the reason was that uh, he uh, that they weren't ready to negotiate. They weren't asking for uh, higher taxes. And I can't forget the other two examples of lunatic leftist ideas that he wanted. To, that, 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 he said until very late in the game, they won't make that mistake again. He's what? dreadfully, he's mortified about the prospect of having to negotiate against Democrats. So he just kicked out the debt deadline to 2025 to four to six trillion dollars of additional accumulation not to have to face joe biden
0: well not to have to face people like you in the conference i mean i think that's ultimately he doesn't enjoy (laughs) doing this and he he doesn't want to be put in that position that is see that is very scary to me because like i told my audience i can understand if you feel you don't have control of all three branches all right you can't get everything you want we understand that But he agreed too early to this fake deadline. 99% of your leverage in any game of brinkmanship is in the last 1% of duration. So they they totally threw that away. They gratuitously added that on. And then you just said something very disturbing, which I don't understand is. Democrats had no leverage to go negative to get what they were. Meaning they want a debt limit increase. We supposedly don't want it. right? That's how it was supposed to be oh, you want a debt increase, we're going to extract something for you. McCarthy gets up, gets up there and says, well, at least we didn't get tax increases. Like, wait, wait, that, that was our what? leverage yes. point. What is that?
1: <laughs> right. It, and here's another thing. It actually even does one other thing that, uh, to this whole picture, uh, Daniel, which is, and I just said it in another room where I was having a meeting, Two things about this where the McCarthy has come out with this thing that are fundamental to me and have driven everything that I've done and said. one is that it violates the agreement we entered into in January. The second thing is everything about the speaker's position, the legislation, how it's represented and so is false it's lies now I, that, that's, a, that's a, you know a term that gets bandied about a lot, but It it, it, you you can lies are you got two ways you got facts that are misstated and that's happening like the IRS you know we we mixed the IRS staffing for fiscal year 2023 there's nothing in the one paragraph that suggests anything it kind of just takes a billion four out of their 80 billion dollar pool that's all it does so that's factual misstatement but there are also lies in terms of predictions a prediction or an or a projection or an opinion about what's going to happen in the future can be a lie. If the speaker of it has no rational basis, it's so implausible that they know it will not occur. All the suggestions about, you know, we're going to get savings, $2.1 trillion of savings as a CBO based on on, on uh, spending targets that are not even caps in law, which they consistently blow open, it's, that's a lie, but it is only a lie by virtue of the implausibility that the The knowledge that what they say is going to happen won't. But in the one perverse way, there's one thing that I was convinced was a lie that is not. Kevin said over and over again, the Democrats didn't get anything in this bill. If you go and look at all the various provisions, the one that that I was going all along, well, they got a $4 trillion debt increase. But as (laughs) it turns out, by that remarkable admission, that was something Kevin wanted.
0: Yes, not the
1: Democrats. It's just you couldn't wow. wrap your mind around that possibility, so your foundational assumption was was incorrect.
0: Wow, I never That's thought about that. Are. It, it uh, makes on sense. On that single point,
1: he didn't he, he he didn't lie when he meant when he was talking about that one. Now I, I could take apart the way it's a lie in a million other ways. All the you know, administrative pay go that they say we got something. But actually, the Democrats got the waiver provision they they, they over in the Biden yep. administration. They could just ignore it, things like that. Those are those are also lies because the Democrats didn't want those things, got them. They got them so that they completely undermined anything the Republicans got. But But that particular point is almost impossible to wrap your mind around.
0: What that tells me is that all along, if I would have been a fly on the wall in the White House, you would have heard something like, hey, guys – you know, let's let's craft this in a way that I could show my conference I gave them something. Not like you're speaking to someone with conviction. You guys better end the debt, the inflation, the weaponization. No, you weren't hearing that. And that's what scares me headed forward. I always said, and I said on this show, I would have taken something even much less than the House-passed bill. As long as it didn't go negative and certainly didn't run away our leverage for the remainder of the presidency, if on condition we would fight on the appropriation bills that don't have this false specter of default, which really terrifies these guys. So it's only a government shutdown. I mean, that, that would be true here too. It was a lie. But, but you know, so then we'd have more leverage to work with things. But this totally Agreed. nukes that, totally sets the top lines, the fake Massey plan. So it's not the real Massey plan, as I just explained before. It's a, it's a watered-down version that really makes it worthless, encourages the omnibus bill. So headed forward... How could we trust Kevin's leadership on the future fights?
1: So understand this one aspect, that I'm sure you're, most conservatives will readily agree. It's not that I ever thought Kevin McCarthy was trustworthy. His actions over many, many years have, have demonstrated he's not. <laughs> what, the test, what this was the ultimate test of is what we were able to accomplish in January. So you take the leadership contest and there were a handful of folks who were with us at the end who said, well, look, this is just never going to work. And we, the rest of us were very conscious of the the, the uncertainty as to that. But we came up with this agreement and for four months it really appeared that we were, that, that Kevin McCarthy, we had aligned Kevin McCarthy's deepest desire, which is to be in the office of the speaker with
0: our interests,
1: the, the yeah that's right. That, was, so so he he had to move forward the handful of core agreement core terms that were agreed to, um, and uh, and and that seemed to be working. I mean the, to the point that everybody predicted we could not come to you know pass on the floor a plan, but we did with 218 people. And frankly, it's not a problem of anybody in the two in 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 my crowd over here who would say, oh, well, that has to be the deal. No, we all recognize that it wasn't going to be the, the, the last word. But the general gist of it would be the guiding principle. But as, you've, as we've seen now, and what you just summarized, he dispensed with the basic operating principles. That was purely cosmetic. And he did something totally different and inimical to the agreement. So the question that it begs is, okay, We're back to the situation before the speaker fight. What do we do now? And I wanted to, the worst thing in the world up here is for people to fake. That's what the whole place is fake all the time, fake. (laughs) And, and so in Republican voters, that's where, that's where the the risk of loss of the country is. If people are completely believe there's not a good actor anywhere, then they'll just sort of huddle down in their houses and and try to hope for the best as long as they can. I don't want to see that happen. So, the question is, sort of how can you maneuver in the circumstances that you face? But I wanted to let the people who are on to things out there, and there are many of them, know that I recognize the degree to which this development represents a fundamental failure of the agreement entered into in in January. And so that's why I gave voice. I said, I think it is inescapable that, Kevin McCart, there has to be a motion to vacate
0: the chair. There has to be a motion to vacate the chair. So, Is there any more information you can give us about that? And is there a concern that at this point Democrats would downright support him?
1: Right. I have also said in an ensuing interview that it will be at a time and time and circumstance of our choosing. Yes. So and I'm speaking frankly for myself. There's no there's no immediately galvanized point of view on that. Um, mm-hmm. I see all of the impracticalities of it, including the, 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 the almost certainty that Democrats would save him now. Uh, the, the fact that if you look around for another candidate within who's, it, to be the speaker, that's problematic. Uh, people haven't covered themselves in glory stepping up under the circumstances to say, I'd be prepared to leave and here's how I would do it. I still think there might be some. But it, that is something to be dealt with. But you first have to look Reality square in the eye and say, hmm, it gets worse from here,
0: mm. not better. That, that, that's my concern. It gets worse from here. Like I said, I'm all for incrementalism, and I figured if they show that they're willing to fight a little bit through the deadline – Take mm-hmm. some of the heat. Actually, the polling was terrific on this. That's what's so, that's the point. This is political adultery. It's not just all oh, we don't have the leverage, but you know, you get something, then you fight more on the probes bill, you get the farm bill, we have a couple of reauthorization bills, then we have the next fiscal year. The worst thing you can do is long term give it away for absolutely nothing, and worse, the impression that you did something, something that there's no need to do anything. This is negative. So I've said I would rather at this point a short-term, give them maybe trillion a trillion dollars and a set dollar amount so they can't manipulate it and just give it clean because it is. It is nothing. So just make it official and without the lying and then rebuild with the appropriation process. You, you've co-sponsored a bill to do some mm-hmm. sort of short-term thing. Can you describe that?
1: Well, it was uh, a, a bill that uh, Corey Mills put in yesterday Frankly, uh, it, you know, whether that specific one came to pass, I can't tell you even what the, the uh, period of time was. But what should happen, I don't think this is going to uh, – this is not going to happen, uh, Daniel. You'll understand. I mean this – I think except the possibility they're a little bit dicey in terms of how the rule vote goes. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: – um, because Democrats won't typically vote for a Republican rule. So shouldn't you have five to, to take
0: it down? Shouldn't you easily get five to vote No.
1: Well, I, yeah, but I don't think that Democrats—I I think at the end of the day, Democrats will save the rule, too. Wow. Um, but I I believe there are—I'm going to be a vote no on everything about this corrupt— So you're going to vote uh, no on
0: the rule. And and, and sorry, oh, I didn't absolutely. mean to cut you off. I just want to give clarity to our audience that don't know. Every yes. bill, you, you vote out a rule uh, to, to construct the debate— so typically, even when Democrats vote for the bill, just by virtue of being in the minority, they vote against the Republican rule. So if if Republicans only have a slim majority and a couple of Republican conservatives rebel and vote no, so it takes down the bill. That was the understanding uh, in the past, but now it's such a uniparty. This is this bill is so advantageous for the Democrats. They'll probably try to save them, and that's why I appreciate that you're not rushing into a motion to vacate. You're articulating the case for it, which is important, that he deserves right. it, but the strategy has to be you have to you know, try to get someone in the background that you feel makes sense to bring out, and you got to do this. It's, there's no point in doing it a helter-skelter, so I agree with right. that. But anyway, back to the other point. So ha- well, what does this bill from Corey Mills do?
1: So, I, I, and I think it was a 15-day or something like that extension or, or clean uh, debt ceiling suspension. So, if if there's a there's, I mean that's a that's something that should have been uh, considered all along. I mean, there's, the path of the accumulation of the debt is sort of like it's happening regardless of what we do, and so the time limits are a little bit arbitrary in a way. Yeah. And so, if you now, you, you, there's some other things that get sort of complex and you can get your mind all twisted up in knots. But as a general proposition, if you're if the if the reason you're having to get desperate is because Republicans are the ones who feel the uh, responsibility uh, not to cause the markets to become volatile and the like, or, or you know, listen to the media go get hysterical about uh, the the day on which uh, some funding would be insufficient uh, to cover everything they can think up to spend, or that is required to be spent, um, then then just move that date. Yep. Now Now you can't do it unilaterally, but. But yeah. even whatever the pressure uh, that the pressure is upon respective parties, if we pass a clean debt ceiling extension that takes the de- the deadline out a few weeks, I, I even I can't imagine even then that the Democrats would be so yep. insulated from political responsibility that they could they could not agree to yep. do it. We,
0: we, now, we didn't Senate want
1: to come and do something totally different. And we might be. So, but I don't see how it gets any worse than where we are.
0: Th- that's my and, point. Uh, we didn't want. To We didn't want this short term business initially because we didn't want Republicans to, to resort back to their typical caving. and that's just the sense of okay, they're, they're they're not on message. They're scared of this arbitrary deadline. But based on what we're facing now, like I said, there's right. other tranches you could do it short term. You could pass a debt prioritization bill. And you know, to Thomas Massey did have an amendment to do that. Um, and I think that should have gotten tacked on. You could at least get a little bit more clever. But the worst thing you can do is give away the leverage, really not just the debt ceiling, but also the the budget bills for the remainder of Biden's presidency for absolutely nothing. I mean, yes, I, I don't. So so punchline, how many how many no votes do you think McCarthy is going to muster up a majority of the conference? Uh,
1: for. For the bill, I would say uh, pretty certainly so. In fact, not only a majority of the conference, I imagine he'll be up to 140, 150. <laughs> so in other words, just <laughs> like 70 no votes? If we're lucky. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's pretty bad. See. I, and that's the thing that's so interesting to see as a phenomenon. You really have to spend – I have a hard time adjusting to it, to, no matter how many times it occurs. Somebody just summarized this in another the other meeting I was just in about how – when at some point in time, when John Boehner, John Boehner said, jump off the roof, uh, only everybody in the conference, except for maybe 23 would do it. And, uh, but, but that, that, that's, you know, this interesting, Daniel, the type of person, type of personality, I believe, but because there's some just people who just are, are like, like you, they're just going to be independent minded and they're just sort of built in. That's not a common, it's not commonplace. And for whatever reason, when all the flaws, all the lies, the more the lies are exposed about the actual lies, about the advocacy for this bill, the more the wagons circle tightly around leadership. It is it's, it's a, it is exactly the opposite of what would be rational, and yet it is a, yes. it's, it's, the emperor has no clothes.
0: I've watched that for yeah. years, that the deal comes out, they kind of support it, and then as we peel through it – even the few things you think you got were a bait and switch, but then they just they rally around and, and, and this is what's so said. A lot of us made a big deal about the majority of the majority rule. Like you had to pass a bill, for the majority of GOP. But I mean, I think what this demonstrates is no matter how severe the act of political adultery from leadership is, you know, they're they're gonna get two thirds. They they're gonna get two thirds right. of it. And it should I mean, this is a problem never with the party.
1: Change, Daniel. Until the American people decide to hold people responsible for that, and ultimately, has I'm I have great con, I'm really am convinced. This sounds like pandering, and I said, but I but I I always go out and and I talk to people back home, and they're just I was the person at some in a restaurant, and then they'll tell me every detail of one of these complicated things that's going on up here. People European, that's like Bannon, Warren. People pay attention. To what you do. they're out there, and they know what's happening in a way that I think is unprecedented. I, don't, I think the, the means of communication, as much as censorship goes on, I still think people have, have their fingers on the pulses because they don't believe what they're told anymore.
0: I hope and, so.
1: But people do escape political accountability up here in a way, ways that are amazing. People in deep red— Deep Republican red districts,
0: districts the, 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 the success they, of primary they challenges. Is... their
1: own voters with every vote they take. And they never face a consequence.
0: They never do. They never do. And that's why I really don't have much hope to changing things until we fundamentally change the party or a new party. I'd love to see a freedom party, not just a freedom caucus. But, you know, that's something we'll have to talk about in the future. Everyone could follow you at Rep Bishop on Twitter. Keep fighting for us. Never back down. And we look forward to having you back again. Thanks much, Daniel. Take Thank care. You. God bless. So there you have it, folks, one of the new big stars in Congress. And I guess that's why we need term limits. I mean, everyone's going to go south on you after a couple terms. Um, And some of it is not just because of values. Like I'm telling you, they wear you down. And at some point, you have to start twisting yourself into pretzel. What purpose am I serving here? And you just get presented with just a bunch of false choices and bad options. And there's so many other bad members because this is the dirty little secret. You know, I was hoping we'd get a good 100 no votes and we'll find out. But this is really bad. Mark my words. I had very low expectations. This shocked me. And I think uh, Congressman Bishop really gave a little bit of insight into that. And it makes sense because I was thinking like, why? I mean, I thought you'd get the contours of the $1.5 trillion increase. And then, you know, it was a matter of how they were going to water down these provisions and what sort of fake stuff they would do. The fake stuff was extremely severe. In the case of welfare, it literally went negative. Um, Just an absolute joke. And even on the permitting stuff, a lot of people have noted that the way the subsidies, meaning because the energy department and interior is so skewed because of the IRA, the Green Energy New Deal, towards green energy, a lot of that will help green light green energy rather than fossil fuels. So, and, you know, some of it is just, you know, Joe Manchin's pet projects, this is really bad. But then on top of that, to do the unlimited for the remainder of Biden's presidency, I never saw a single Democrat asking for that. To me, that reeks of the fact that McCarthy only wanted to be in this position once. He didn't view this. He didn't relish being this. This is our leverage. We will not do this unless you help us fix this woke and weaponized bureaucracy. No. He's like, oh, my God, I don't want to default. It's terrible. So maybe McCarthy is right that it was a victory to avoid Democrats having proactively bed new bad Democrat policies, tax increases in there, because if he comes up to the Dems and is like, oh my gosh, I want to raise the debt ceiling more enthusiastically than you do, well then the Democrats say, alright, hey buddy, you want a debt limit increase? You better raise taxes. So maybe McCarthy's right. This is the problem. It's not a matter of any one provision. I mean, they're all bad. But it's a matter of the fact that from day one he's sabotaged our messaging on it. He goes up to them and is like, First thing first, we cannot be allowed to default. You're done! It's over! And now they know on any government shutdown, on any reauthorization bill, heck, even on something like a defense authorization bill, they're going to be too scared to hold it up. What do you do with a party like this? I don't have a good answer. But we won't get an answer until... All of the loud mouths in this business who have more influence and money and audience than I do are willing to come to that realization and articulate it publicly and search the recesses of their heart and pray to God for some sort of solution because what we're doing ain't working. And on that sour note, you can follow me at Daniel Herwitz at startmail.com's email at Arm Conservative on Twitter. Please give us a 5-star rating on iTunes if you haven't done so yet so we surge past some of these other ridiculous shows till tomorrow. God bless y'all and thank you for listening.